Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, joystick wagglers. This episode was brought to you in part by our backers on Patreon. And for just £5 a month, you can get next week's episode right now, a week early and ad-free, which is a special bonus podcast looking at the first episode of Bad Influence. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod for more information. Now on with the show. an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, known to liberally extend aerials. And with the salty spray licking against my legs, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 29th of October, 1992. Ooh, it's nearly Halloween, which I'll explain our review section coming up later on. Still top of the charts, it's Tamsin Archer with Sleeping Satellite, and we've got a new film at the top of the box office, it's The Crying Game. Take up my wallet. I want you to do something for me. I want you to find her out. Tell her I was thinking of her. Listen, there's something I should tell you. Genius and exceptionally well acted. You vanished quite effectively. You know her, Jimmy. Jimmy, is it? Leave her out of this. Are you going to tell me what's wrong? No, not here. So we thought we had a bit of a rough time last week with a film that we didn't particularly want to talk about because of who made it. Now we have a film that has a lot of good stuff to say about it. Unfortunately, it's best known for a scene which can only be described as trans exploitation. And whilst it received numerous award nominations, didn't win many, but it got a lot of nominations, a lot of its $65 million plus box office didn't come from people going to see it because of the quality of the film. It came from people who wanted to go and see 
a scene that revealed a character as being trans. On a different podcast, maybe we would dissect this. Maybe we would go into it. There's a lot to take apart. But that one scene overtook the film. It overtook the message. And it went on to inspire some truly horrific parodies that took place in The Simpsons, that took place in Ace Ventura, that I think even took place in Friends, and essentially made trans identity a punchline. And I'll be honest, I don't particularly want to talk about that. Well, we'll shift gears uh, into the new releases, which uh, is a bit slim this week, but we do have the incredible crash test dummies for the Game Boy, which... (laughs) I was never very good at that game, but I did love that first level where you jumped off the top of a building and had to hit as many things on the way down. Good crikey, did I want some crash test dummies when I was a kid. I tell you what, turning a safety testing implement into a marketable cartoon and video game, literally selling ice cubes to Eskimos. (laughs) It's... uh, (laughs) It's, it's an amazing piece of marketing and merchandising. It always makes me think of Airheads as well, the Brendan Fraser movie, because the Steve Buscemi um, uh, childlike character gets very excited because Rex brings home some incredible crash test dummies for him to play with. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to go on eBay and start looking up crash test dummies now. <laughs> that's that's going to be the next thing. So take us through to the magazines instead. Well, we've had two weeks worth of Superplay. Meanwhile, on the other side of the console war divide, Mean Machines shed off all of its other formats and platforms and became Mean Machines Sega. Now, given what we've previously said about the look and the aesthetic and the marketing of the Mega Drive, sticking it with the Mean Machines name sounds appropriate. Totally works. Really, really works. They picked the right side of the war as well. I'll be the judge of that. (laughs) Magazine section, my domain. Because also at the same time, while they had the Sega brand, There was Nintendo Magazine System launching as well. Maybe we'll take a look at that in the future. It's a big old magazine boom at the moment. Video games are big bucks. They're big bucks and they're using a lot of paper, none of which was recycled. (laughs) We didn't care about the environment. (laughs) Then you had a blue Peter green badge and that was your lot. Maybe did a bring and buy sale every now and then. We can buy that solar power charger for the Game Boy that we get later on in this show. Oh, we'll get to that. Anyway, Mean Machines dropped all the other platforms, stuck the Sega name on, and for the most part stayed the same. The style was the same, the editorial tone was the same, the staff was the same. To go down the list of contributors, we had Julian, look at what you could have won, Rignall. <laughs> the jazz man. Richard, right, Royal Ledbetter. Andy, naughty, naughty. Very naughty. You also had Oz Really Great Brown, Radion, It's a Fair Cop Automatic. We haven't heard from Radion in quite some time, not since episode one. No. Of this podcast, way back when. Angus, I don't really know, Rita, Swan. <laughs> Paul, Respect Davis, Dave the Pelvis Kelsall, not a name I'm quite familiar with, <laughs> yeah. and Fraser Superstar Grey. A lot of names that would have appeared in the credits of CVG, but that's because the magazines did still share a good amount of editorial staff, and I imagine the same office. Yeah, always totally. Was usually like the same publishing house as well. Mean Yob is still in the magazine. He's had a little bit of a facelift, a bit more refined. He's developed a yellow mohawk. Always looking proper Mean Machine Sega him. He is. And his introduction is, he's skill, he's brill, he's uncensored, and he's ill. <laughs> so this is like the Beastie Boys version of ill, like ill communication. Love him or hate him, his subtle blend of humour... Wait, subtle? Yeah, I was going to say, he was very much bad-mouthing children back in series one. Oh God, I wish I hadn't started reading this now. Oh no! Love him or hate him, his subtle blend of humour, irony and pathos, 
is so superb, only the thickest, saddest Oh, there it is again. <laughs> can object to his words of wisdom and wonderment. I did say, like, I mean, I was trying to be, you know, he, he used the words. He was very much bad-mouthing kids. And there he is just using it again. It was the 90s. It was just a word that was used a lot. But as we now know, we know who the man behind the mask was. The yob was Jazzman. Is miserable Jazz Rignal. This is like getting to the end of Friday the 13th and it was Jason's mother. <laughs> jazz Rignal is Jason's mother. Yeah, sure. Why not? Roll with it. With better hair. And just to do a tonal check-in with the yob. Dear yob, I have to point out how stupid your readers are. <laughs> Yob's got that job, mate. First, it was the versus letters. You know, my SNES is better than. And all that crap. Then it was letters saying how stupid the versus letters are. Can't the people see they're being as stupid as the people writing the versus letters? And that was from Tim from Leamington Spa. Thanks for writing in, Tim. Yob didn't say that. Yob said, and where does that leave you? You're even more stupid than the people you're complaining about because you're complaining about the letters, complaining about the letters in the first place. Sucker! <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Can no, you no. just do a check on the last word? Uh, yeah, I can. It is uh, S-U-K-K-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-H! Exclamation mark. And how would you pronounce that? Sucker! There we go. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, lovely. Yes, here we are on the Games Master Oil Rig again. The salty spray licking against our legs with nothing but our protective hoods for comfort. But we can all take warmth and cuddliness from the man who sets the challenges, the Games Master. Well, the salty spray is against our legs, but thankfully we can all take warmth and comfort in the Games Master. Um, I've been really enjoying Series 2 so far. It's you know, like five episodes into this now. I feel like I'm enjoying series two more five episodes in than I was series one five episodes in. I would say that season two has seen an overall decrease in dick jokes. Yeah, it really has. But the jokes that land are slightly more explicit. Like, there's at least one in this episode, oh, yeah, which a... made me just jaw slacken a little. There's a big one at the end. There is. He saves the best till last. <laughs> it's a right old kraken of a diamondism. Well, let's get into our first challenge, which has been set by the Games Master. And welcome on board the Games platform, especially to those of you who are staying offshore for the first time. I do hope you're not feeling too homesick. And talking of sick, I trust you haven't already eaten, because my first challenge is quite right to bring it straight back up. You must complete lesson two of the skydiving course on pilot wings. After being dropped from a considerable height, you must control your descent so that you fall through a series of hoops before negotiating your final approach to the landing pad. As a concession, you will be allowed a parachute. One tip, don't leave it too late to pull the ripcord. Best of luck. Hey, we're playing pilot wings. Shut the front door, we're good. <laughs> See, I'm going to try not to swear as much. <laughs> Just just to give the sonic sound effects a rest. Uh, but Pilot Wings, absolutely my jam. One of the first games I had for the Super Nintendo and one of the last that I got rid of because for some reason in the 90s when I was getting a new console, I got rid of the old one. Yeah. Because retro gaming wasn't a thing and it was the only way that I could afford to make that jump up. Yeah. That was the way you had to do it back in the day. Oh, but regret. Oh, yeah. I mean, regrets. We've had a few and I've had too many to mention. Not having my original Super Nintendo is definitely a big regret. Or the Game Boy. Yeah. The Game Boy went as well around the time that I got a PlayStation. Game Boy and Super Nintendo both went at the same time. 
I managed to keep hold of my Mega Drive for the longest time. Like I had it, like I would say up until, you know, quite recently until I left it uh, at a, I, I was in between houses. So I left it at, the, at a house, moved back to my parents for a bit, went to go pick it up and it's no longer there. And I'm pretty sure my old housemate sold it. It was the Mega Drive I got for Christmas in 1991. Swine. I know. Sold a, I mean, bear in mind, it's not just the Mega Drive that he sold. I think he sold pretty much my entire collection, including that copy of Panzer Dragoon Saga that I talked about in a previous episode. Oh. Yeah, he's, he, he robbed me blind, basically. But anyway, on to Pilot Wings. Let's talk about good stuff for a change. Mate, Pilot Wings, as I say, one of the first games I got, one of the last I got rid of. It's not my jam. It's not my marmalade. This is chutney to me. <laughs> yeah. This is a game that I can literally play until the cows come home. Not because I'm great at it, but because I just love that it is a game apart from the bonus levels of skill and it's soothing music and it also shows off mode 7 a lot yeah and this is a this is a perfect challenge for games master because it's a very simple thing that you need to do but requires an incredible amount of skill to do really really well at it uh, basically, you've got to get through the hoops and land and get the best score. You've got to open up your parachute as you've been dropped down. Uh, we've got a brother-sister combo playing the game this week with Emily and Michael Gleave uh, with a very, very cute interview. Emily, by the way, might be the star of the show this week. She's fantastic. Welcome, Michael. Now, Emily, why is it that more boys play video games than girls? Because girls have got more sense than to waste their money on computer games. You're not supposed to say that on this What's program. What's the Oh. Now, Michael, what are your friends going to say if your sister beats you? I don't know, but they're going to cuss me. They're going to cuss you? Yeah. I don't think we did that up in Scotland. Uh, no, never mind, Michael. I'm going to go out on a limb. She's been well prepared. <laughs> yeah. She, she, she has some lines to hit, and she hits them. Yeah, because Dominic Diamond asks her, why don't girls play more games? And she very, quite, very quickly responds, because they're stupid, and boys waste their money on silly computer games. And Dominic Diamond goes full on panto and stage whispers, you're not supposed to say that on here. <laughs> to which Emily does a proper kid acting. <laughs> Wasn't, Wasn't I? I? <laughs> oh, planting McPlant in the plant pot. But yeah, it was a great moment. It was funny as all hell. The brother, meanwhile, was stood there just looking mildly embarrassed and perturbed and worried about what fate may befall him if he loses. Because apparently, if he loses, he's going to get cussed. Yeah, he's going to get cussed out by his mates. Cussed bad. Yeah. <laughs> We're not punching down with the kids on here, though. But Dominic Diamond does invite Michael to linger behind his sister with his delightful colourful top. It is a brightly coloured top. Oh, I think it's a football top. I can't be certain on it, but it looks like a it looks like a proper 90s, early 90s football top. It's brightly coloured enough that if he fell off the games rig, he'd show up in the shipping lanes. The, yeah. the you know, a Peruvian tanker would pick him up no problem. I absolutely I would so I don't know why Peru. <laughs> <laughs> It's the sort of shirt that I definitely would have been wearing in the 90s. It was a lovely little shirt. And uh, Michael, if you'd like to just linger behind your sister in your lovely colourful top there, we'll get ready to play. And joining me for a spot of commentary is Frank O'Connor from Super Action. Welcome, Frank. Pleased to see you again, Dominic. All right, Frank. Now, we've got two buoyant competitors here. Do they need any tips from us? Take it gently. Slow, gentle movements is the key. And uh, watch out when you get closer to the ground. All right. Uh, we've got Frank O'Connor from Super Action in the booth. We've had a Frank on a couple of times now. And I really, really like Frank O'Connor. I think he's a very good commentator. He's got a good grasp of the source material. And he's got a nice natural patter. He feels very comfortable up there on camera. Not all of the journalists do. No. Much like the kids, they're not used to being on camera. 
Nowadays, if you're a journalist for a games magazine, sorry, website, because let's be honest, magazines are slightly lower down the pecking order for a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. You also probably have a YouTube channel, a Twitch channel. You do Instagram stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, 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 pretty sure. (laughs) I mean, mean, I've got an Instagram. No, I don't have an Instagram. I do have a Twitter, though. Uh, (laughs) But no, but essentially, you're used to putting your face out there as much as your words. Yeah, completely, yeah. But back then, it would have been a slightly unusual experience for a lot of them. Well, he gives the very good advice to just take it slow, don't open your shoot too early, uh, which Emily went up first just completely ignores, although I, I'm really going to praise Emily a lot in this. I know we feel like she might have had a bit of preparation uh, before she went out there. But bearing in mind that they don't have a Super Nintendo at home, or at least she claims they don't have a Super Nintendo at home. That bit I don't think was scripted because it just completely derails Dominic <laughs> just a bit. So she's like, you know, if we're taking her words... They don't have a Super Nintendo at home, which means either they've been playing it at a friend's house who does have a Super Nintendo, or today was the first day they got to try this. Either way, maybe they haven't had a massive amount of practice at it. But Emily is very, very good as a novice for this game. She is so much better than her brother at this game. One of the big mistakes that you often make when you first start playing Pilot Wings, and I say this as someone that made it when I first started playing it, and something because the brother makes it, on missions like skydiving or the jetpack, you overcompensate and you try and move left or right rather than just rotating and letting the crosswind yeah. carry you. Because while at the time it was quite advanced in its appearance, it is still basic flat 2D. Like the ground looks 3D from above, but when you get down to the bottom, it's a painted on texture yeah. on the ground. There's no real buildings. You don't get a 3D pilot wings until the Nintendo 64. But they did do a very good job of things like uh, creating wind effects and the way that you move through the air. It's nicely realized and rendered. It shows off the Super Nintendo's graphic capabilities, but also it's kind of, I guess, physics capabilities. Yeah, yeah. Certainly by the programmers. She gets it. Yeah, she really does. And she just glides through the rings. You've noticed, yeah, during the rings, because the first three you don't have to move, but the other two you have to just make ever so slight tweaks to the, your placement. And that's all she does. Just ever so slight tweaks, and she just nails both of them perfectly. If I remember correctly, you can position yourself and tilt yourself for the first ring. So after that, you actually just go through all of them without having to make any oh, adjustments. Wow, okay. There is some, you, there is some um, pre-positioning you can do to just make that flawless. Fairly certain. I've never done it. I'm not going to claim that. But I think I've seen a Let's Play where someone did it. And I saw it and I'm like... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wasn't Adam, was it? No, it wasn't Adam. <laughs> Thanks, Adam, by the way. Who, uh, just as we're recording this, took us up on our Mega Man challenge. Yeah, back from episode nine. Yeah. Had work to do, but no. Was incensed <laughs> by us calling him out and uh, and went out and recorded a complete one-shot borderline speed run of, uh, was it Mega, Mega Man, Man 2? 2? Mega yeah. Man 2. Not going to lie. I obviously know that people could complete it, but the fact that us calling someone out has resulted in this being made, I'm kind of in this weird position of going, I must only use this power for good. Because <laughs> apparently a few words on a podcast and people are suddenly dropping their paid work <laughs> to go and spend an hour and a half completing a game on a NES. <laughs> Lovely. Back to the challenge. Yeah. She gets through the rings. 
she she does overcompensate a little bit here when she opens the chute. Yes, yeah, so she opens up her chute early. At least that's what Frank says anyway, because like the warning comes up saying you can open it and she opens it almost immediately. And I, then spends a long time sort of gliding down. But actually, like this is where I think Frank comes into his own because Dominic is panicking for her because Dominic's like, she's going to go in the water. She's like completely swinging away from the, the landing pad. And Frank's like, no, 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 that's what you need to do. You need to swing around because you can just come back around. The wind will take you and that should land you right in the spot you want to hit she doesn't land in the center in no. fact she does almost stack it and end up in the water because her trajectory that she took around was slightly too wide yes and therefore by the time she came in for the final approach she was a little bit too low she skates she she you know, she'd have had soggy trouser cuffs going yeah. over that water she just made it onto the platform but she landed it she didn't hit the ground too hard she got a pretty damn good rating. Yeah, she got 70 points, um, but she was in the lower lower scoring area. She got a lot of her points from the rings, really. So yeah, 70 points to beat. Handed over to her brother. Oh dear. Oh dear, yeah. So Michael um, goes through the first three fine, but then misses the fourth and fifth ring. Once again, opens up his chute too late, but he is plummeting to this landing area. He is falling fast. Now... The use of tipping yourself forward to descend more quickly is an entirely valid tactic, but you need to pull up at the right moment to slow your descent. So he got half of it right. Yes. Because he too almost stacks it, almost ends up in the water. He, I think, goes the other way. Well, he almost yeah. overshoots and goes off the edge. That's it, yeah. Like, he nearly gets it. Like, there was a point where it looks like he is going to land dead center, but just just skids across and as you say nearly lends up, ends up in the water but just ends up in the outer rim i think at that point if it actually hit the ground dead center it would have ended up with the animation you get when you do just hit the ground way too fast and you kind of end up head first with your legs waggling in the air i think on some level he realizes he pulled up a bit but what it resulted was yeah him overshooting yeah if as we believe they only played this game that day i think both of them did extremely well there is no shame in either of their scores but what did he score? He so yeah, he scored 59 points on his. And really, it was all down to those rings. It was missing those two rings at the start. Yeah, there would have been maybe a point in it mm. if he'd hit both those rings. And yeah, it's a shame. What a close contest that was. Michael, there was only 11 points in it. It was very, very close. Where did you maybe miss those couple of vital points? I thought I was going to win, but the wind blew me off a couple of the rings, so... That's a bit unlucky. You were a bit unlucky. Uh, and he says that the wind really made him miss those rings. He just got unlucky. And, and you know, he's, he just is fully admitting of himself. He doesn't blame anything. He's just, yeah, I just got unlucky on the day. Yeah. And I would, as someone that does love pilot wings still, I wouldn't disagree with him, especially if you're not familiar with the game. But this is where we get Dominic Diamond asking, okay, Are you going to have a rematch when you get home? We don't have a Super Nintendo. Do you think you'll have a rematch at home? And Emily just goes, no, we don't have a Super Nintendo. <laughs> what are you, crazy? <laughs> she does. She says it like, obviously, we don't have a Super Nintendo. Who's rich enough to have one of those? Check out Rich Mr. Bodlin's over here. He <laughs> thinks we have a Super Nintendo. Yeah, no, Go back to the chalet, Mr. Bodlin's. Uh, I Sorry, she, Dominic. <laughs> I thought she was a really fun kid, and she wins the joystick. What a, I, as I said earlier, Pilot Wings. What a perfect game for a games master challenge. Um, and I really enjoyed the brother sister combo of it as well. I thought it was a really fun opener. It immediately put me in a good mood for this episode because they're showing a game that I played and that I loved and I still love. And so th this brightened my mood. I think there were a lot of episodes, particularly in season one, where we started with a game where I was like, I 
have no frame of reference other than possibly seeing it on the Amiga and wanting to play it and not being able to because I didn't have an Amiga. Whereas now I'm looking at this episode and I wouldn't have had pilot wings yet, mm. but it was only a few months in the future. And of course, looking back retrospective, I remember playing this game so much. And we're going to get more of that over this season. Yeah, absolutely we are. The season doesn't pander to us because it was made before. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't hurt its odds in getting good reviews. This week we send Auntie Marisha into orgiastic rapture as we look at gory games. First up on the Mega Drive, hockey mask wearing, blood curdling, mucus flying, vomit inducing action with Splatterhouse 2. The gore effect has been turned up for maximum effect. You've got uh, bloated babies, skinless zombies, chainsaws and spears of death. Love it. Not very much thinking, not very much variation in any of the levels. And generally, I just don't see the point. Gameplay really lets the game down at the end of the day. It's just not involving enough. I mean, it is nearly Halloween, so we have got a bit of a treehouse of terror on our hands here because our reviewers, uh, Paul Chainsaw Anglin from CBG, Jane Slasher Goldman, and Paul Bloodbath Rand, who are going to be looking at some gory games. Yeah, what's the gory Jackanory? <laughs> Apparently, it's a gruesome games that are going to send Auntie Mauritius into orgiastic rapture. Blimey. I know. She's well, a dark horse. <laughs> and up first, it's the hockey mask wearing, blood curdling, mucus flying, vomit inducing action of Splatterhouse 2 for the Mega Drive. Yeah, it's none of those things, really. It's kind of boring. Oh, no. Come on, man. I No, no I love Splatterhouse. No, I like Splatterhouse. And I also love Splatterhouse 2. Ah, there's where we differ. <laughs> I like the first Splatterhouse. Not such a fan of Splatterhouse 2 because it didn't do anything different for me. Oh, no, totally. But I think for, like, as a Mega Drive player, like, obviously we didn't get Splatterhouse 1. I didn't play Splatterhouse 1 until much later on in life. I think actually it was through the uh, the Wii Virtual Console because they had the TurboGrafx-16 release of it. I think Splatterhouse 2's failing is that it is more of the same. Like, I really like all the story around the Splatterhouse games and, you know, this one sees Rick unable to get over the fact that he couldn't save Jennifer in the first game, so he returns to the house after getting these messages from the Terror Mask and the Terror Mask tells him that he can save Jennifer if he goes back to the house. I have actually, way, way back when, this is like 10 or so years ago, I started writing up my treatments for a Splatterhouse trilogy of movies. Really? And they were sticking very close to the game. I had this whole thing. I had like the Terror Mask was as, as a sort of almost separate character. It was like a voice in his head. Kind of like Venom ended up becoming. So you can have a way of having your main character be a singular character, but also talk to the sort of you know, someone else and bounce off them so it's not just a mute going through and just killing lots of random monsters. But I always just thought it'd be like a really fun setting. The, the monsters are cool. The story that you can sort of explore is very cool, particularly if you go with the original version and you kill Jennifer at the end. Yeah, it's a downer of an ending. Oh, spoiler for the spoiler first Spoiler for the first game, yeah. In my head, I'm picturing how a Splatterhouse movie would look. And for reasons known only to myself i want to see it made with the same level of practical effects and absolutely crazy i avoided a swear <laughs> absolutely crazy design ethic that was applied to nightbreed yeah make it a living breathing world nightbreed difficult production difficult release i love the version that we can get out there now on blu-ray and by jingo does it look good mm. but yeah i'm seeing that in my head and did you ever actually finish writing the treatment? No, I think I gave up on it in the end because it was one of those things where I was like, I don't know if I'll ever get to make this anyway. I was doing it more for kicks. 
But I, you know, you know, now that I'm in my mid thirties, maybe I will revisit it. But yeah, I bet you the franchise is cheap to license now. <laughs> it probably is. So, um, but Splatterhouse Two was more of the same, and I kind of feel like that's what they're talking about in this review. Like, well, Paul says, you know, the gore's turned up for maximum effect. Bloated babies, skinless zombies, chainsaws, spears of death. Love it. Camden on a Friday night. Yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, Paul Rand says it's the gameplay that lets it down, and I'm afraid to say. Jane Goldman also did not like it. Our affair is over. Uh, she just doesn't see the point in it all. It's difficult to argue with that, to be honest, if it is just more the same. An interesting difference for the English version of this game from the Japanese is the English version had, I think, selectable difficulty and a password system yes, to did, yeah. go back to your game. Japanese version didn't. No. Japanese version was like, no, you are going to sit and you're going to play this game in one sitting and think about what you've done. <laughs> yeah. Next on the PC, Escape from the Haunted House, your jibs that uncle has left you in Legacy. Legacy is an absolutely massive game that is going to take you weeks, if not months, to finish. The monsters that you come across as you walk through the house are really nasty. That's really good fun. Severed heads galore, splattered arms, lovely. Well, up next, we've got Legacy on the PC. Paul calls it a massive game that will take you weeks and months to finish. And I really enjoyed uh, Jane Goldman here where she's uh, talking about the monsters because she's almost like trying to think of the word to use. Then she comes up with like, they're really nasty. Yeah. And then we end with the very nice quote of severed heads galore, splattered arms, lovely. Lovely. 87%. It is 87%. It's a cracker of a game. It also has a slightly bizarre combat mechanic where it's a real-time combat system, but it also requires you to very quickly click on the commands. It's not like yeah. an actual keyboard response. You've got to go aim, hit, and so on, and do all the different corresponding spell icons. But it offers you multiple characters to choose from, up to eight characters. There's also lots of heavy RPG-type elements, a lot of character customization. I think this game was ahead of its time. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way that they talk about it very much suggests that as well. You know, the, it will take you weeks and months to get anywhere in it. Elsewhere in the journalistic world, Computer Gaming World praised the game, but warned that those who found the enemies excessively traumatic should avoid the program. Hmm... Good words to live by, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Finally, on the Game Boy, cower in fear, shake till you hurl and wake up sweating from the nightmare that is Barbie. Obviously, it's not going to be a game for everybody, but if anyone feels okay about buying a Barbie game, then they're probably going to enjoy it. I suppose it was a good idea to try and get girl gamers interested, but doing it that blatantly, it's just not going to work. Whoever came up with this idea should be shot. Well, our final review... It's a gag, you see, because it's horror games that you should be scared about. It's Barbie for the Game Boy. No, I think this is actual horror. It's a plastic <laughs> doll come to life. I mean, Mannequin is also a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. I grew up watching Doctor Who. I know what the Autons are. I've seen how this pans out. Before you know it, you'll be suffocated by a sofa. It's not good. But this is great because, like, this is Games Master having a lark here. You know, we've got gory names it's halloween we've had splatterhouse we've had legacy and then the big punchline is ha ha it's barbie for the game boy jane goldman on the other hand taking this dead series so like if you're a girl gamer you might if you like barbie if you're comfortable playing these games you might really enjoy it you probably won't because at the end of the day no matter what license they stuck on it it's actually still a pretty bloody awful game yeah, i did watch a playthrough of this on youtube and it is hard to watch i think it's just a port of the nez game which also is like just woefully bad but yeah this was a very very difficult uh playthrough to watch it is a 
It is a time when you had people like Mattel and Hasbro. If they had a license and they could slap something on it, they would. And video games was definitely in that remit because it was a way of making money in a market that they otherwise had very little control over. Video games were intruding on the capital that would normally be reserved for toys. And so how do you exploit that? You get in on the video game market. Interesting little factoid about this game though, is not only was it a dire cash-in, but also the music was an instrumental version of uh, CNC Music Factory's Gonna Make You Sweat. Really? Apparently so. Whether done deliberately with licensing or we are shoveling this out, can we get a sound alike in and make it sound like something poppy and ditty? Mm. Doesn't matter. That's what the music was. Mm, interesting. Didn't make that countdown in season one for some reason. <laughs> It's funny as well because Mattel were, I mean, during the 80s, they were very, very protective of the Barbie brand. I remember when I was doing my uh, doing my book, the uh, my Sonic the Hedgehog chapter, I was interviewing Tom Kalinske because Tom Kalinske came from Mattel to Sega. And he was talking about how the, the Sonic, one of the reasons why the Sonic movie didn't get made in the 90s is because Tom Kalinske is a very protective person of a brand that he has been instrumental in creating and you know tom kalinsky was very instrumental in the the big barbie boom of the 80s and so he was very protective of that brand and when people came in to pitch a movie version of it and they were going to do a movie version of barbie in the late 80s they had alan menkin who wrote a complete original score for it It was going to be a musical but so alan menkin of little shop of horrors yes yeah yeah he did a lot of disney work as well yeah 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 so they were gonna go fully on board with it but the reason why tom kalinsky shut it down is because he was worried that whoever they cast as barbie was always going to be associated with that role and if she then went off the rails that's always going to be barbie actor does x y and z and that's what he was afraid of which is why they they he tanked the project it's understandable like if you are that protective of an ip although i made the mistake of reading the plot of this game do you know what the plot of the game is <laughs> lay it on me barbie has got a date with ken okay. and the entire purpose of this game is to get an outfit for your date with ken yeah. because that is your reason for living and enemies include moving sugar cubes oh dear because oh gotta watch those carbs yeah gotta stay trim for ken Ugh. <laughs> This is the sort of thing that would set Lisa Simpson off in an episode. You know, this is the Malibu Stacy of video games. Oh, it really is because I was actually listening to the Talking Simpsons episode reviewing the Malibu Stacy episode and they played a clip of the Barbie that kind of inspired that story, which was this, you know, Barbie that had a voice box in her that would say things like, oh, can't have too much sugar. I don't know what math is. Math is hard. And it had like these really stupid phrases in there that almost felt like they, they should not be coming out of a toy's mouth. They should all just giving very bad messages to young girls. Yeah. Thankfully, those dolls, while they still exist and still have consumerism and gender bias that existed in the 80s, We've also had more well-rounded products out of both, I think, the Barbie and potentially the Cindy range. Um, we yeah, had... well, I think Cindy ended up becoming more like Polly Pockets, if I remember correctly. But the Barbie range has very much, you know, gone from strength to strength and has very much diversified what it was doing. Including, like, having Scientist Barbie yeah. and Doctor Barbie. Shapes and sizes, of... all that sort of yeah. stuff. Some of it is a little ham-fisted, mm -hmm. but I guess points for trying yeah and apparently like the youtube series that she's got where she does vlogs is very very successful and is very well liked really yeah shows where i'm coming out i didn't even know she had a series no well i've got the toys that made us to thank for that
It's an excellent oh. episode on the Barbie brand, actually. I confess, I skipped over that one because I was worried it would make me angry. <laughs> no, it is genuinely a very, very fascinating story. Um, speaking of fascinating stories, I mentioned that Tom Kalinske wouldn't let the Barbie happen because he was afraid it might tank the brand. He did let Master of the Universe happen, though, so... Hey, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good movie, but I'm saying it's a movie that I like. <laughs> I want that that key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That key looks so cool. <laughs> That's like something Pink Floyd would play. I like that. Now it's time for this week's feature. A handheld enters the world bare and unclothed, just begging to be dressed up in all kinds of technical frippery. With Christmas not too far away, we give Games Master's top five add-ons. In at number five, who needs batteries when you have the Solar Boy? An unfeasibly useful device, slot the Game Boy snugly into its protective sheath, add generous amounts of daylight and environmentally friendly game playing hours are yours. Well, our feature this week is add-ons because we're in the lead up to Christmas now, so it's time to buy some extra tats for your handheld stuff. Essentially, taking the most portable device you can get and making it awkward and cumbersome. Yeah. That's what's happening. And this segment opens with Dominic Diamond, in so many words saying as, a Game Boy and Game Gear comes into this world naked and begging. No. <laughs> we're like, not. No. On, we've heard this before. We're not, we're not going there again. You're going to play that sound clip now, aren't you? Of course you? I am. <laughs> a Game Boy comes into this world naked. Awesome. <laughs> so let's count down uh, the top five gimmicks for uh, your Game Boy and or Game Gear. And we're starting off with the Solar Boy. It's environmentally friendly gaming. About 30 quid available now. It's basically just a it's solar panels for your Game Boy. So you don't need to waste uh, four double A's. Now, I'm trying to work out, and I couldn't be sure, does it actually have a battery pack built in? Or are you constantly kind of trying to stay in direct sunlight, which, spoiler for the Game Boy, is really a bad idea because you can't see anything on the screen yeah. in direct sunlight because it's not backlit. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was the it had a storage to it. Or, as you say, whether it's like you need to be in direct sunlight at all times. Or, or maybe even just hooked into like some rechargeable batteries that were yeah. in the Game Boy itself. I mean, as a Game Boy owner, rechargeable batteries were a thing you needed to have. Yeah, very much so. In four, add a few racks to your Game Gear library with the Master Gear Converter. Put a Master System game in, gently caress the whole shebang into the Game Gear, and you can now play Master System games handheld style. At number four, it's the Master Gear Converter, which is a converter that allows you to play Master System games on your Game Gear. This seems like a great little uh, gadget to have, uh, and it's only 20 quid, and that just like completely opens out your options of games that you can play. I mean, essentially, the reason why it was so affordable is because the Game Gear was a master system with yeah, a few yeah. simple modifications. Bizarrely, this device was not originally made by Sega. It was made by a Hong Kong company, and there were loads of different versions. Some of them did get branded by Sega, but you could buy one of these, and it could be like under one of any three or four different brand names. Some of them would be licensed, some of them wouldn't, but they all did essentially the same thing. The output was resized to fit the screen, um, because the smaller sprites and the smaller resolution meant that bullets would disappear and you just get hit mm. for no apparent reason. If you had a game that required reading a lot of text, that could also be difficult to deal with. There were a couple of different actual revisions of this. And at one point, they were making plans to have a version that would allow you to plug a second controller in. Oh, wow. So you didn't necessarily have the ability to link Game Gears together for this, but you could actually have a second controller yeah. and kind of like have that attached, which I think is an interesting concept. 
God knows what it would have done for the battery life. Oof, yeah. Yeah. Making the number three spot its own, the handy boy. Pin back the amplifier flaps, gently coax out the magnifying screen and press on the joypad. Now you can enjoy a fuller sensory experience with the only Game Boy with built-in wings. Oh, up next is the Handy Boy, which is essentially a big speaker system with big buttons. You were mentioned earlier about having a gimmick that makes your Game Boy cumbersome. This is one of those things that just makes it look very cumbersome. It's the only Game Boy with built-in wings. Yes. <laughs> I've written, cool, I guess. It's £30. Some of the bits are not a bad idea. Um, the speakers doesn't improve the quality of the sound, just makes it louder and does give you stereo. The Game Boy, when you had the headphones on, it was stereo. So, cool. Yeah. Does make the screen a bit bigger, although with a slight distortion, because this was essentially a magnifying glass. Yep. I remember seeing a number of people with these at the time, particularly people I may have known from school. And do you know what one component was always missing? What's that? The joystick and the buttons. Yeah. Do you know why? Because they're not very good. They were awful. Yeah, yeah. And they would pop off and inevitably end up at the bottom of a bag or get lost. Yeah. That sounds about right, to be honest. In the runner-up spot, the Sega TV Tuner. This slots into your Game Gear's rear, and if you liberally extend the aerial and have a precocious fiddle, you should get rampant television satisfaction, meaning you need never miss those open university double bills again. In at number two, it's the Sega TV Tuner. It slots into the Game Gear's rear, liberally extend the aerial, and have a precocious fiddle to get some rampant TV satisfaction. It is a very, very expensive £75. And... The battery life is still shocking, and also it suffers the same problem as all portable televisions, which is, unless you are stood on top of a hill with direct line <laughs> of sight to a transmission tower, you're not going to see anything, particularly on Channel 4, which even with an aerial mounted to a house, frequently looked like there was a blizzard. <laughs> But in the premier position, youthful yuppies give a hearty hurrah for the Wug Boy, an amazingly educated contraption which turns your monochrome mate into a Firefax extraordinaire, with everything from a calculator to a database for all those irritating facts. In at number one, it's the Work Boy, which turns your Game Gear essentially into a Filofax. It is 70 quid, and here's why it's at number one. It will be launched at Games Master Live. Guess what? It didn't get launched? It didn't get launched. This thing <laughs> never got a commercial release. I think there's some prototype units out there. But no, this was capitalizing on a different trend because obviously we had video games and handhelds taking hold, but also we had things like the Scion Series 3. Apple were not too far away with the Newton, I think. That was, mm. that was beginning to make uh, headway. And so there was this idea of replacing your Filofax with a personal digital assistant. And this would go along with that because the Game Boy was proving popular. As that early feature in Season 1 showed, it wasn't just kids. It was skateboarders. It was weird people. Sticker enthusiasts. Sticker enthusiasts, yeah. A Game Boy comes into this world naked. Pe people that like using the word naked a lot. <laughs> but businessmen were playing them as well much in the same way when later with the ds and um brain training and all those yeah, kind of apps yeah. the appeal of it went beyond standard gamers and there were pensioners playing them at that point as well so they saw a potentially untapped market to exploit unfortunately they discovered that maybe there was a reason that that was untapped because this thing yeah never made it to market i couldn't tell you if they even had a prototype unit at games master live because you know what if it was there it would have been the last thing I was looking at. Yeah. It also doesn't look like it's that great because the way that 
the person is holding it in this video shows that it doesn't attach to your Game Boy, it just sort of connects to your Game Boy. Which means if you were looking to type, you would have to hold the Game Boy in one hand and just type with your other hand, or you'd have to put your Game Boy down onto a flat surface and then use the keyboard. The fact that it had a keyboard peripheral is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that bit's good. I mean, the company that made it as well was a company that seemed to come into existence for this, a company called Fabtech. Um, great name. Oh, it's a great name. Fabtech. What are we making? <laughs> Fabulous <Fab> technology. technology. <laughs> I mean, says what it does on the tin. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't because no one ever got to own the tin. <laughs> yeah. The Walk Boy will be launched in what is possibly the biggest gaming accessory of them all, Games Master Live, a 3D exhibition at the Birmingham NEC on the 4th, 5th and 6th of December. To book, ring the Birmingham NEC on 021-780-4133. Don't forget to mention if you're in the Games Master Club because we've got special rates for all members. And this is followed by a promo for Games Master Live because, as they make sure we know, this is coming up soon and you should work on getting your tickets now. Exactly, yeah. And we're going to be doing a bonus podcast on Games Master Live and we want to hear from you. Did you go? Let us know. Email us feedback at underconsultation.com. You can either write it down or you can attach an MP3 with your memories of the events. Or if you want to go super old school, you can call us and leave a voicemail on 020-3290-2666. The phone number of the beast. <laughs> and I really, really hope we get some good memories and recollections because I'm terrified that this may end up relying on my recollections, which will mostly be <laughs> being terrified of people and getting ripped off for a bootleg copy of um, a Simpsons game. <laughs> Well, before we get to that, it's time for our celebrity challenge. So let's see what we're playing with the Games Master. I think we're going to have a lot of fun on this next escapade. The game is Dino Blaster. Five little men run around dropping bombs and trying to blow each other up. You should be aware that the number of bombs that can be dropped at any one time and their firepower can be increased by collecting icons along the way. Let's hope you've got what it takes. So we're playing Dino Blaster, or Bomberman, as it's more popularly known. Do you know why it was changed to Dino Blaster? I don't, actually. The IRA. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because yeah. they went, no, we can't have something called Bomberman, so what else can we call it? Dino, Dynamite, Blaster. Yeah, Dino Blaster. Dino Blaster. But the thing is, Games Master does refer to it as Dino Blaster, and then immediately it gets referred to... As Bomberman. As throughout. Bomberman. Yeah. Throughout. Oh, although I think, um, I think Dave Perry, who's with us for the commentary on this... He does call it Dino Blaster, but he also calls all of the men Ken. Yeah, yeah, the white Ken, the green Ken. Yeah. I no, I did do some searching on this to think maybe there was a backstory where these characters were called Ken. Nope. It was just Dave Perry deciding to have a little chuckle of his own. And to be fair, it made me laugh. So yeah. <laughs> I'll go with that. But man, what a game Bomber Man is. And like just completely holds up to this day. I was out at the four quarters in uh, Hackney recently playing it with people. Playing it, you know, playing it two player is great. Get onto the Mega Drive. I think that had a multi tap with it. You could play that four player. Great times. I've been playing the two player version recently as well, the NES version of Bomberman 2. Oh, yeah, so much fun and so crazy. And just. When, it, when you start to get super powered and you get like, so you can drop four or five bombs and your flame reaches halfway across the screen. It's a simple game mechanic, but it works. Yeah. They did make it a bit more diverse with later games where you can then kick bombs and you can get kind of flames. Kangaroos and things like that. Flames that go around corners yeah. and weird stuff. But it didn't take away from the core mechanic. It's much like Tetris. You can build on top of it, but don't change it too much 
or you break what makes it fun. I'm looking at you, Tetris 2 on the NES. I played you recently. You're a disappointment to your father. <laughs> also, as well, clearly, I think the intro for this segment was just sort of filmed out of order. They didn't know it was going to go with this episode because he refers to them as a celebrity bloke. So, a bumper bag of goodies there tonight. Well, the helicopters arrived, replete with supplies and tonight's famous bloke. Because they obviously just take that. I was like, can you just do an intro where you just say it's time for the celebrity challenge? Because he refers to five people as one. That is an odd. That is an odd thing because one player Bomberman is quite boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a famous bloke. It's in fact a famous group, or at this point, not a famous group. It's take that. All five of them. Yeah. All five of them are here, and this is like we're a. I mean, it's next year. It's in 1993 that take that make it big. That's when they get their number one, and then they get a string of number ones because it's july 93 they get prey that's followed up with relight my fire then they have babe and then they have the mega hit of everything changes they had 28 top 40 singles overall now joint number one with the spice girls were the most uk number ones in the 90s oh man we're gonna actually hear from them quite a bit down the road aren't we yeah oh well but yes, we are welcoming Take That to the Games Rig. It's their first time offshore and not their last because their bank accounts will reside here for a good amount of time in the future. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's my Tax evasion <laughs> jokes, they never get old. Just ask Jimmy Carr. Uh, yeah, it's my mum's favourite group, Take That. Uh, although I think she's more fond of the, the lesser version of the era. With, uh, although she was, like, my mum was a big Robbie fan. Like my mum and her friend Barbara, they were at Nebworth. They were at that Robbie gig. Did it kind of fall apart with Rudebox? Well, I think possibly slightly before that as well. I think Swing When You're Winning was maybe a step too far for, for my mum. Weirdly, I think my mum liked that. But yeah, Rude Box and Rock DJ. Oh, she loved Rock DJ. Oh, she did? Yeah, she was a big Rock DJ fan. Did she see the music video? Yes, she did. Why do you think my mum was such a fan? Obviously, you know, pre when she takes his skin off and stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> your, is your mother a big fan of Hellraiser? Because that's where it kind of goes. There's a deleted scene at the end where Pinhead's just shown in the door, folded arms and nodding at what's gone on. <laughs> oh, we've got such sights to show you. <laughs> Tax returns. <laughs> so yeah, this is a very interesting era for Take That because we are like, it, it, what a fascinating career that they've had because we've got them here. This is before they're famous. Next year, they make it big. Then we get the split and then you get the big Robbie Williams popularity when Gary Barlow was the punchline to every single joke. Gary, at the height of Take That Mania, you couldn't go anywhere without thousands of, of screaming girls following around, could you? Oh yeah, they were everywhere, yeah. <laughs> What what kind of stuff did they used to shout? They used to shout, Gary, Gary, move. We can't see Mark. Oh, it was crazy times. You, know. oh, you should have seen some of the fan mail we used to get. Do you still get many letters? Yes, I do. I get loads. Fact is one I got only this morning. Dear Mr. Farlow, how would you like to join the Britannia Book Club? Choose any five books and get a third free. You know, it's letters like this that really keep me going. I always remember the episode of Rock Profiles, the uh, the Matt Lucas and David Walliams show they did with Jamie Theakston, mm -hmm. where they did an episode on Take That. And it is, it's basically just making fun of Gary Barlow. He's living in a crap flat in Manchester. He's trying to hawk 
the copies of his solo album. And he's just got boxes of this solo album. And he's made a take that board game that he wants everyone to play, where one of the pieces is just like, Robbie Williams ruins it and leaves and ruins it. Career over, end of game. I like that he became the punchline because, yeah, fast forward a decade or so. It, he's the big man. He's the big man on campus. But also the punchline again. Tax evasion. <laughs> we don't punch down, but sometimes there was some low-hanging fruit you can't help but tickle. All right, Mark. All right. All right, got it. Okay. Right, boys. Now, I know you, that all of you is like a little waggle now and again, but come clean. Who is the best games player in Take That? No, Obviously me. Well, it's funny, Robbie, because I actually read that you can beat Danny Minogue's high score on Tetris. Is this true? Uh, she doesn't find it funny, but it's the truth. But it's the truth. <laughs> well, speaking of which, Dominic Diamond says that they all like a waggle every now and again, but who really is the best gamer? And in full-on monkeys fashion, they all go, me, 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 me. This is like, it's amazing to see them here because they are they are programmed by a record executive to be like, this is how you need to act in order to sell these records. And they are, they are acting in the right way for this show. Simon Cowell is just off screen with a cattle prod and just going, behave yourself and me, 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 me. Yeah, you say a cattle prod. I think he stood there next to Professor Frink, who's just got a machine that is inputting their actions. <laughs> Entirely believable, especially <laughs> they, they are very, even at this early stage in their career, they are very well oiled and rehearsed. And they, they, just... they all have a role to fill. Well, actually, no. Gary Barlow has a character. Robbie Williams has a character. And there's three others. Yeah, the other ones are there. Uh, Robbie Williams is the only one who gets a solo interview where uh, Dominic Diamond says that he's beaten Danny Minogue's score on Tetris, which is about as 90s a sentence as you're going to get on this show. Robbie confirms this, but says she doesn't find it terribly funny. <laughs> I mean, she had a career already at this point. She was technically above them in the pecking oh, order. 100%, yeah. Still a little bit below her sister. Yep. Mm. Okay, well, if you at home want to find out who is the winner out of all of Take That, join us after the break. <laughs> Eleven o'clock. You're up early. Morning, Lisa. See you later. Cornflakes. Now there's a blast from the past. Kellogg's cornflakes. Delicious flakes of corn drenched in ice cold milk. Morning, Steve. Morning. Typical. Lisa's had a cornflakes. <laughs> yeah, have some fun. Kellogg's cornflakes. Have you forgotten how good they taste? Ultra hot, ultra cool, ultra hair barbie. Calm it out, air some depth. Gel it, scrunch it, now it's set. Make it fun, make it now. Hair so long, it's totally wow. Ultra hair barbie, you've got something special. Ultra hair barbie, Ken and Willie come with Barbie's styling gel. Ken has new combable hair. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Sorry to interrupt these ads, but I just wanted to let you know that this episode was brought to you in part by our wonderful backers on Patreon. They've already heard this episode and are currently listening to our retrospective look at the first episode of Bad Influence, the video game magazine show that aired on CITV with Violet Berlin and Andy Crane. They've got previews of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and Streets of Rage 2 and reviews of Joe and Mac Puddy and Smash TV on the Game Gear. Yeah, the Game Gear. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod to get that episode now, as well as other bonus goodies. Triple X extra strong mints. Can you handle them? And you've joined us at a very tense moment indeed. We have all five members of Take That here about to attempt Bomberman. Now, they all seem like really good mates in real life, but at the end of this game, there's only going to be one of them standing. Sega Power's golden boy Dave Perry is in the booth with Dominic Diamond. He says the game is simple, but takes a lot of thought. Don't get trapped in those corners. It is so easy in this game, particularly when you're getting a bit trigger happy towards the end. You've got trigger happy. Yeah, you did a bit to box yourself in with a bomb. And then you've just got the three second countdown of waiting for your chances to end. Now, do we want to talk about the elephant in the room is where they're playing a five player game of this, which means that someone being Gary has to play this on the keyboard. Let's talk about that elephant in the room because they are playing the Amiga version via a serial port splitter. You could bring the total number of joysticks up to four. And with a keyboard player, you have five. In theory, fine. Playing on a keyboard, not actually a disadvantage. Because back in those days, a lot of games would have been played on a keyboard. If Gary had had a Spectrum growing up, there was a chance that he would have played on a keyboard on there. Not everyone had the luxury of a joystick. However, Gary, whether by choice or by force, has been stiffed. Because this game had a glitch, particularly when it was in a multiplayer situation, that the keyboard controls would stick or register double or triple inputs. So you could move right across the screen, stop, and then your character would twitch right again or in any other direction. So essentially, he was playing a doped controller. As it turns out, if you look at when he dies, it is a twitch movement that moves him into the path of the flame. And he looks so confused as to how he just died. Because yeah. he's in the center on his own. Like, there's no one around him. He's just clearing off the box because he's the center one. He's just clearing out box and, get, and getting power-ups. And the next thing you know is he's dead. This could be an accident. Or someone could have suggested that he take the keyboard knowing 
that he would be eliminated fairly early on. Because they do identify him as the lead singer as well. I bet it was Mark. (laughs) He always seemed a bit shifty for my liking. I bet it was him. Well, going on to Cassini, he wins. Robbie might have had something to do with that as well. No, no, no. I don't think so. Quite the prankster he was. Yeah, but also it would have been a bit too obvious. You know, that that would be a bit too obvious. I think, yeah, I reckon, I reckon it was Mark. Well, yeah, the lead singer is gone. He's unfortunately uh, taken himself out of the game. Howard goes out next. Mark follows him shortly thereafter. Robbie is sucking on a dummy, which makes me like him a lot less. Uh, he then That was a thing at the time. I know it was a thing at the time, but it's one of those things you look back and you're like, oh, Robbie, I was actually rooting for Robbie to win because he was, you know, I was not a Take That fan as a kid, but he was the best member and he had the best solo career out of any of them. I like Robbie Williams. Although arguably now Take That has a better career now than Robbie Williams does. Completely. Absolutely it does. Shine, hell of a comeback song. Isn't it just? To the point where I'd been listening to it and singing along to it without realising who it was. And then when I found out, I felt a little bit dirty. That's it. It's my mum's favourite band, man. She loves Take That. Great at a wedding. Um, But anyway, he then quite brilliantly traps Jason so that he can't move, and Robbie takes the win. He carpet bombs him in. He, he doesn't does. just drop one bomb. He drops a load, yeah. essentially, and just boom, 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 boom. It was a risky gambit because the amount of bombs he laid, there was a chance that he could have got caught in the line of fire, could have literally. Up a draw, yeah. Which I didn't, until recently, I'd forgotten you could actually get a draw in Bomberman. <laughs> yeah. And when it happens, it's kind of awkward. And on actually the NES version of Bomberman 2, because it's best of five in the Versus, but you have to have a two-point clear victory. Ah. And so you will go, okay, it's now 6-5, 8-7, until it gets to nine. And if it's nine all, it does just go, right, this is it. I'm done. <laughs> I've had enough of you messing about. Someone's going to win this at this point. Yeah. And some game, before we go on to the winners, I must have a quick one for Gary. Now, listen, Gary, what happened? I mean... For a while, I thought there was only four members to take that. Oh, listen, I just don't like the game, you know. <laughs> now, Robbie, I tip you to win. You know the prize you're getting. What, what does it mean to you to win the game's Master Golden Joystick? I just, I can't sum it up in words. <laughs> I, I'm getting so emotional now. There's so many people that I want to thank, but now, most of all, I want to thank my parents. Oh, this is for you. <laughs> well, in the post-match interview, uh, Gary just says, I don't like the game. I don't like the game. Um, and Robbie then gives a uh, insincere Oscar speech where he thanks his mum. Got a lot of personality as Robbie. He's he clearly like you look at the, that fivesome there. He already looks like he's going to be the breakout solo star. Yeah, he wins the golden joystick, the audience's heart, and his freedom from the slavery of the lamp. <laughs> when Dominic asks uh, what happened, he says to Gary, "For a good while, I thought there were only four members of Take That." <laughs> foreshadowing <laughs> anyway yeah the boys disappear off fairly quickly as they've got meetings with their accountants to set up <laughs> that's it i'm done with the offshore banking <laughs> accounts for now hello games master welcome to the helipad how can i help you i'm finding thunder force 3 very difficult is there any way you can make it easier for me there certainly is during play pause the game then press the following combination on your control pad up 10 times B twice, down twice, B six times, and A once. Now, when you unpause the game, you'll be equipped with the full arsenal of weapons. Thank you. Service. Our first game in the consultation zone is struggling on Thunder Force 3. I'm not surprised that game is nails. Uh, basically, he's just looking for any cheats that will make the game easier for him. And 
quite the cheat this is. He gets you all weapons, but to do so, you've got to pause the game, press up 10 times, B twice, down twice, B six times, and A once. This is a proper, have your pen and paper ready for the consultation zone, because you, you're going to need to write this down. There's no way you're remembering this 10 minutes after this show ends. I bet that lad from season one was watching this going, I wish I'd known! <laughs> that would have helped him. What would have happened on Games Master if someone had actually, in the middle of their challenge, paused the game, tapped in a cheat code and carried on? <laughs> would they have forced them to do a retake? Would they have let them carry on? Would they have banished them to the pit? The diver, yeah, they'd have been banished to the pit. The diver would have come and got them. They wouldn't have even had a chance for defense or to finish the challenge. They'd have just been dragged off by the scruff of the neck. Hello, Games Master. I'm finding the Adams family very difficult. I'm wondering if there's any tips to make it easier. Try entering the password 111111 at the start of the game, and you'll begin with 100 lives. If you can't repeat the game now, there's little hope for you. A second kid can't beat the Adams family game, uh, so basically just got to put in the password 11111, and that will get you 100 lives. If you can't beat the game now, there's no hope for you. Fair comment. Yeah. I did like the Adams Family game. It's fun. It was a fun platformer, but guess what? You better like that music because you're going to hear it a lot. Yeah, we had it reviewed way, way back when. I feel like it was in episode one. It was episode one, in fact, of this show. We had the Adams Family for the NES reviewed. Yeah. And this is the SNES version, I think, that they're yeah, playing Super here. Adams Family. Yes. Because that was a rule with the Super Nintendo. <laughs> we take an existing property and we put the word super yeah. in front of it. If you play Super Nintendo games under emulation... S is a long old section to scroll through because everything is super. So my uh, friend had this and uh, we were playing it a couple of years ago because we were toying with the idea of like launching a YouTube series together where we would play some games. We did like a comparison of Turtles in Time and Hyperstone Heist because mm. I had Hyperstone Heist as a kid, he had Turtles in Time. But one of the other games we played was The Addams Family and he was sort of showing me through the game. And he played through the game, got to the final boss and he killed the final boss but also himself at the same time. So the pair of them died at the exact same point. What that meant was that when he then traversed back through the house and got to that boss, the boss did not come back. But it also meant he couldn't finish the game. The game was stuck in a loop where it was done, but not done. Oh my God, it's like Groundhog Day for the video game. <laughs> it really was. Hello, Games Master. I'm James Bond 2, Robocod. I've heard there's a cheat for infinite lives. Could you tell me what it is, please? Of course. I'm rather partial to this one. From the start, go right and enter the first door that you come across. Once you're inside, go to your right. And just after the second set of spikes, you will see five objects. Collect the object in the following order. First the lips. Then the ice cream. Then the violin. Then the earth, and finally the snowman. You will notice that the first letters of these objects spell the word lives. You now have an infinite amount of them. Thank you. And our final kid is looking for a password for infinite lives on Robocod, which we've also seen on this show. This is, this is like a, a best of of Games Master. I mean, Games Master himself says he's rather fond of this one. Yeah. He likes his fish-based puns. And I really like this as the way to get infinite lives in this game. You go to the right, go into the level, and you collect the items in this order. The lips, the ice cream, the violin, the earth, and the snowman, which spells out lives. That's very cool. That is a very, very cool little hidden thing to put in a game. And again, much like the cheat code that we started with, was it released by the developers? Did they put it out to the magazines to get it out there? Or did someone find this? Yeah. 
Well, once again, we're not going over to Chrome Dome for our final challenge because it is the third Curly Challenge where Sega European champion Danny Curly is putting his winning streak on the line wearing a lovely Man United t-shirt. They talk about the draw from last week, the uh, the controversial draw. Um, and Dominic Diamond thinks that his luck might be running out here. I mean, he does ought to describe him as a man who's in hands. A joystick is a weapon. Although, thankfully, this is a Mega Drive, so he's playing on a joypad, so his chances of it being arrested for murder or GBH are quite slim. <laughs> so, after that veritable bevy of tips, it's time for tonight's final game foray. And it's the third of our special curly challenges. What can I say about this man? In his hands, a joystick is a weapon. The undefeated Sega champion, Danny Curly! Now, now, Danny, last week, Warren Brazier held you to a draw. So how confident do you feel this week? Well, my luck's my going to run out one day. Okay, well, we'll see if it's tonight. So if anybody fancies a chance on any Sega game, please put your hands up now. Oh, yes, the guy there with a lovely purple Marini top on. If you'd like to come on down, sir, give a round of applause for tonight's challenger. So, what's your name? Jeff Gallias. Jeff Gallias. So, what's the challenge for Curly tonight? It's Arch Rivals. Arch Rivals? Oh, Curly. So, Arch Rivals. Uh, a bit of a basketball game there. Are you confident? Well, I've played a couple of other basketball simulators, but not this one. Okay, well, it could be a very interesting competition. If you'd like to sit yourself down, James, we'll get ready to play. Well, Dominic Diamond picks out a kid in a uh, purple or maroony shirt, and he picks, I can't quite believe this, Arch Rivals. I've written it. Now, granted, I know why they picked this game, and he explains why he picks it in the post-match. But my note here is like, what is up with these Mega Drive owners picking crap games? I want to see good Mega Drive games. I can't be too critical of Arch Rivals because without Arch Rivals, we wouldn't have got NBA Jam. Fair, yes. This game is spiritually a precursor to NBA Jam because yeah. it's two on two. It's quite rough and you can shove players over and not get penalized for it. Yep. So yeah, I'll give it a pass on that. I think this guy chose this game for a couple of reasons. I think because it wasn't such a well-received game, he thought Danny might have not played it. I think he also chose it because it's glitched. Oh, yeah? Over 95% of shots taken from anywhere on the court will go in. Really? Now, if you don't know that, you're going to maybe try and take the occasional three-pointer. What are you going to be doing? You're going to be rushing the basket for dunks or close two-pointers. But if you know that... You're going to be taking every opportunity to get a clear three-pointer shot. And as we're going to find out, he takes a lot of three-point shots. I think Danny does the same thing as well. Danny takes a lot of three-pointer attempts. Like, his his second shot is basically from his basket to the other end. If they both knew, fair enough. But it does feel like this guy thought, I know, I've got his number. I've got a game here that has a little bit of an exploit to it. So yeah, I mean, this game was released in 1992, but it's based on an 89 arcade game. And I will say for a game that was released in 1992, this does look old. Like, I, I was surprised to find out it got released for the Mega Drive in 92. This looked like, you know, era one of the Genesis release. It was released for other platforms as well. The NES got a version. Yeah. The NES had an interesting glitch of its own. You could get a three-point dunk. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Again, we're kind of back to NBA Jam where you get absolutely stupid, crazy dunks. But you know what? That was part of the game. And even on those, you could still only perform those dunks when you were within the two-point zone. Yeah. But I'm guessing there was just a slight uh, kind of collision box error that meant you could initiate the dunk animation while technically still on the outside mm. of the zone. Yeah. Yeah. 
And joining me in the commentary position tonight is Dave Rimshot Perry. Welcome, Dave. All right. Okay, now how do you rate this game? What's the general tactics they've got to use? It's to be played dirty, it's to hit, to lunge, to, to do whatever you can to get the ball in there. It's good fun. Well, Dave Rimshot Perry is in the booth again, and he's got a t shirt that says, is it Sega or like Game XS or something? Yes, it says Game XS, so big it hurts. Now, to me, excess is extra small. Yeah, that does so not make sense. This is a bit of a paradox going on here. I do not understand this one. It's something so small it hurts. Yeah, like like in the soul, like like <laughs> it's deep in deep in your heart, it hurts because it's so small. Well, I guess we're talking about cash or or memory or some other gaming related term, and not penises. Obviously, obviously, well, I'd like to think so. Anyway, this is Games Master <laughs> after all. Joysticks. Yeah. Uh, but Dave has got the very, very simple advice of just play dirty, and it is the first to 20 points. Uh, and as we said, like, you know, Danny has very got a, he's got a tactic here, and that is go for the three pointers. Maybe he doesn't know because of the glitch, but I think he just knows that if you get, you're going to get to 20 quicker with three points than you are with two points. But you also leave yourself more open to being shoved That's or having exactly the it. shots blocked. And once you lose possession, particularly as it's only two on two, your player will probably be knocked down. So then it's two on one briefly for a few seconds. And that can be enough time to squeak off a shot. And that's pretty much what we see. That's exactly it. Yeah, Danny gets first blood with three points, but quickly Jeff is up by five to three. Um, and there are just times when like Jeff gets up to 10 to five at one point. Danny's nowhere to be seen. His character's way off screen. There were a few times they cut to Danny or shot of Danny where he's looking really worried. But there were a lot of other times where they cut to them and they're just having a bit of banter they're and chatting and smiling. It's quite lovely, really. I wish we had microphones on them because we had this last week with the um, ice hockey game yeah. where they were having a bit of a laugh. I mean, yeah, it was the Curly Challenge. Yeah, he was the Sega European champion. But it also looked like they were having a bit of fun. But that's what I like about the Curly Challenge. What I particularly like about Danny Curly is that... He is a Sega European champion, and here he is sort of defending his undefeated streak, which Games Master takes very, very seriously. But I'm not sure that Danny himself takes it that seriously. I think he just enjoys playing games. And he's just, you know, he's, we've always he's said before, he's quite nervous on the show. So as soon as he sits down and playing games and he's playing it with other people, he's just really enjoying himself. I imagine when he first comes down and first starts to chat with Dominic and have to do the Vox Pop bits on camera nervous once he's in the chair next to his opponent and they're looking at the tv and they've got the joy pads okay despite the two to three hundred kids screaming and that fucking <laughs> air horn <laughs> going off every which way but loose try the three-point shot ah, beautiful straight in he could probably zone it out and just go, okay, I'm just playing a game. Yeah. Uh, Jeff goes up 15 to nine. Danny keeps going for those three pointers, but as we get to a point where Jeff only needs two more points. It's 18-17. It's so tight. It gets very, very tight at this one point. Jeff then brilliantly plays possession because he, he every, up until this point, they've just been rushing the baskets. Whoever's got the ball, you run and you try and dunk it, or you run and you try and get a three-pointer. In these last two points here, Jeff starts playing possession. He passes it to between them, and he gets the dunk, and he wins the challenge. While it may be a glitched game, while it may not be a very good game, I tell you what this is, it's a bloody good challenge. It's good. It's like Sports games do work for these sorts of challenges. You know, It's why the Series 1 Celebrity Challenges often worked very well, because they were sports games.
and also two-on-two basketball. It was the most into sport as a live piece of performance that I've ever been. And for reasons known only to myself, at that match, I bought a Charlotte Hornets mini basketball <laughs> because I love I love the mascot. Yeah. I think the Charlotte Hornets, that like evil looking Hornet, it's great. I think certainly helping that, that sort of big basketball fad, like it's Michael Jordan era of basketball. Mm. So like, you know, he's a mega star. Like my brother had a poster of Michael Jordan, you know, and like we are getting into that era with the Chicago Bulls when they became like the team of, of basketball. 91, 92, 93 was their triple crown win. That's they had right, it yeah. twice. They had 91, 92, 93. 96, 97, 98. That's or... when he came back because he left to yeah. go play baseball for, for 93, I think for 94, and then went back to the NBA. And I think that's when they 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 won more games again. Yeah, because uh, Chicago Bulls are, I think, the only uh, team to get that kind of double set of triple crown wins. There's actually a documentary coming out about that 90 Chicago Bulls era with interviews with all of those players, which I, I, think, I, am, I think would be amazing to watch. I am on board for that. And the thing is, watching this challenge and just talking with you about it now, I'm not going to play this game. I want to smack up some NBA, NBA Jam. Jam yeah. Let's get some tournament edition on. <laughs> yes. I loved NBA Jam so much. Absolutely. So, commiserations, Daniel. You said it had to happen sooner or later. Yeah, it was a close match, but at the end of the day, you won. Oh, well, bad luck, Daniel. Now, Jeff, congratulations. You've beaten the great man himself. What was, what was the difference between you two at the end of the day? Uh, planning. I had to choose a game that I didn't think he'd played before in our head, obviously. <laughs> All right, well, Jeff, not only do you have the prestige of beating young Daniel, you are also the winner of the ultimate gaming accessory, the Games Master Golden Joystick! I really enjoyed Danny in this post-match interview as well, where he just said, you know what, it was close, but at the end of the day, he won. Yeah, it was, it was humbled. He didn't make excuses. He also looked a little bit relieved. Yeah. He looked a little bit kind of like, Ah, pressure's off. Yeah. Because not only with Games Master, but the advertising that he'd been undefeated for four years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something crazy. I mean, how many challenges he'd had in that time? Who knows? How truthful that statement was? Who knows? But you know what? The pressure was off. This was Games Master's version of The Undertaker's Streak. (laughs) Um, And this is where we find out that Jeff picked Arch Rivals on purpose because he picked a game that he didn't think Danny would have played. And clearly he picked the right game. The same tactic as was used last week with the ice hockey. Yeah. I think we discussed this last week, but the biggest issue that I think we both had with this challenge is it peaked too early. That's exactly it. There should have been a bigger build-up. Even if they filmed them out of order, they should have had the first challenge, the Sonic challenge, flat-out defeat. Another couple of challenges, maybe also Danny being fairly dominant as a gamer. Then we have the ice hockey challenge. You're pacing it, and it gets close where... He almost loses, but it's a draw and the challenge is to defeat Danny Curley. Then you have a couple more. Maybe the immediate one after that is another slam dunk for Danny where he just obliterates his opponent. Then you have another close call and then boom, you follow it with this where he loses. You establish a narrative. Now, as quite a number of listeners will know, we're both wrestling fans and essentially what I've just done is wrestling book this storyline. Yeah, it's long-term storytelling. But... There is nothing to say Games Master couldn't have done that because we know that they're not above stretching or distorting the truth in the name of a good story. Completely, yeah. And I think it's a shame. And I think it does a disservice to the challenge and a disservice to Danny as well. Alternatively, maybe he just wanted done with it. (laughs) They looked at us like, do you know what? This has got three episodes in it. 
and then we'll we'll be done. We'll move on to something else. We'll get Auntie Marisha in next week to play um, uh, King of Monsters 2. Oh my God, we do, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Next week is going to be a wacky and wild ride. Uh, yeah, I mean, spoilers, I love next week's episode, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Yeah. So Jeff gets this golden joystick and he walks away very, very happy with himself. He Not only has he won the joystick, he's beaten the undefeatable Sega European champion, Danny Curley. That is pretty good bragging rights, even if Danny Curley doesn't actually seem to care that much. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Well, that's the dinner gong, which means it's supper time here on the holiday camp. My appetite's been whetted by Auntie Marisha's red snapper. Yours can be whetted by the prospect of two World Wrestling Federation legends on next week's show. Well, the dinner gong has gone off, and uh, Dominic Diamond has said that his appetite has been whetted by Auntie Marisha's red snapper. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, ladies and gentlemen. We've been, like, he's been saving it. Like, we had a, a slight, you know, dick-waggling joke. Uh, during the Celebrity Challenge, but he was saving all of his marbles for he this. He was backed up. He really he was. He was backed up, and then it just boom, all blurted out. I was like, I'm trying to avoid it sounding like ejaculation, <laughs> but I can't not do it. It just spurts forth out of his mouth, and boom, red snapper, Auntie Marisha. <laughs> Wait, hang on, that's incest. Ooh. Yeah. Mm, uh, her, mm. Mm, her. Moving on, Moving we get on. a preview of next week's show, don't we? Well, we do indeed, because on next week's show, we have got the British Bulldog and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now, Dominic Diamond does say they'll both be here next week, where we actually find out only one of them is actually there next week. British Bulldog is just there for other reasons. But still, British Bulldog and Jim Duggan are coming next week. Oh! Wrestling legends, one of whom is still alive and was crazy then, and spoilers, <laughs> He's crazy now. <laughs> I'm excited for next week's episode. One, because of this. Two, because of the Auntie Mauritius challenge. Because, yeah, that's a great game. But three, we're not tackling this monster of an episode alone, are we, Luke? No, we're not. We're going to be joined by Matthew of Botchamania for a wrestling-based episode. Because, yep, we're a little bit on the nose with the guests that we bring in sometimes. I can't think of a better episode to bring him in on. I am looking forward to this. Yes. Before we get to that, let's look back at this episode. What did you think of it? I'm going to go out on a limb. And I think this is the best episode of season two thus far. Wow, really? Apart from the somewhat awkward gender role stuff at the beginning of, oh, girls are smarter than boys, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying that women aren't smarter than men. I'm just saying that she was playing a very stereotypical role. And mm. yeah, it was prompted and that's, absolutely fine she reminded me kind of like the violet bot type bonnie langford role from just william that mm. kind of like boys are icky and stupid yeah and i'm not saying that they're not but it didn't do any favor to the concept because it was saying that games are stupid yeah which is then backed up in the review zone when it's like the barbie game what a horror show like paul rand says the person who made this should be shot that's a little bit harsh, and it also feels like a step backwards because a couple of episodes ago, we had our first female challenger with the Super Mario World Challenge. Yeah. But, yeah, that is awkward. The Barbie review isn't great, but also the Barbie game isn't great. Whether the person that made it should be shot, debatable. Let's call it debatable and leave it at that. However, we get some spooky games. We get some ridiculous plastic tat. All three of the challenges are great. Five player take that. That is the most people we've had undertaking a single challenge thus far. And I don't know if we get much higher than five. I don't think so. And the last challenge, while disappointing to see the Curly Challenge end, it's exciting television because the game, even though a bit shit, 
is still a fun two-on-two basketball game. Everything lands. We have an obscene joke to end with. Games Master's on form. Dominic's on form. We're still within a hair's ass of the game's animal. Yeah. He's not quite there. He's got a confusing t-shirt. He's got the bandana, but he doesn't have the jacket or the swagger. But thus far in season two, this is just a great episode. I am going to agree with this. Not my favorite episode, but I do think it is one of the best episodes. As I said at the top of this show, I've been really enjoying series two so far. This is a show that has really, really found its stride. And while last week's episode wasn't particularly great, and I think that episode one wasted too many minutes with our opening joke, I think that this is a really, really great episode. The pilot wings challenge is really fun. I loved the Bomberman challenge. I really, I, you know, I, I sad to see the curly challenge end, and I do think it's it was gripping television, but it was I wanted to see better Mega Drive games being played for it. Maybe that's what I wanted to see from a curly challenge was Danny Curly being beat on a good Mega Drive game. Maybe that's what I really would have liked to have seen. Chances are, if it was a good Mega Drive game, he'd, he'd be been really very good, good at it. it yeah. yeah, but we get a, a really fun review zone with Splatterhouse Two. And we get almost like a best of in the consultation zone with lots of games that we've seen before in the show. Yeah, you're also basically explaining why I think this... It it doesn't go over my favourite by much, but just by 1%. Yeah. So what is your your percentage score? I gave season two, episode two, 93%. You gave that one 94. That was also, I think, your highest score. It is my highest score, yeah. As I say, just above by 1%. I'm going to give it 94%. And I know that's setting me up for a fall because next week's episode, spoilers, it's going to be a doozy. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a fun one. Maybe I'll go to 95. Maybe I'll go higher. You'll have to tune in to find out. <laughs> yeah. Analog transmissions, fine, whatever. <laughs> Adjust your aerial on your Game Gear TV <laughs> tuner. Or if you follow the advice in the letters column from a few episodes back, wrap a wire yeah. around it and oh, just download the podcast. It's fine. So... I've set myself a stupidly high bar for next week. What is your score? Well, I am going, um, I'm in agreement with you, but I'm going lower. I'm going at 90% for this because while it is a, it's one of the best episodes we've had so far. I don't think it was as good as episode two or episode three, which I'm I'm pretty sure I did score a lot, uh, not a lot higher, but I think I scored episode two 94% and I think 93% for episode three. So I'm going to stick with 90% on this one. Uh, but yeah, uh, and you're absolutely right. Next week, we've got quite the episode, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. So with that being said, despite you being a vegetarian and me not being able to do seafood, should we go and have a gander at Auntie Marisha's Red Snapper and see what's on the menu? Oh, while we're here, we may as well, yeah. It would be rude not to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe Steaming Jasmine will be there as well. Oh, lovely. It'd be nice to have a catch-up. <laughs> we'll see you in seven. Take care. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.